Hello everyone and finally welcome back to Reading by Flashlight. And this is going to be the first episode of season 5, which is actually going to be about one of the books that was requested. And thank you guys for requesting books. I got a lot of good ideas for books that will uh, hold out a lot of the future series. And I'll try to do as many of them as I can that were requested. And if you have any different ones, um, continue to keep suggesting them. So the one that we're going to start season five off with is The Ichabog by J.K. Rowling. This is one of the books that was recommended. And here is the kind of synopsis, I think it's called, of the book. It says, once upon a time, there was a tiny kingdom called Cornucopia, as rich in happiness as it was in gold and famous for its food. From the delicate cream cheeses of Kurdsburg to the hope of heaven pastries of Chalksville, each was so delicious that people wept with joy as they ate them. But even in this happy kingdom, a monster lurks. Legend tells of a fearsome creature living far to the north in the marshlands, the Ichabog. Some say it breathes fire, spits poison, and roars through the mist as it carries off wayward sheep and children alike. Some say it's just a myth. And when that myth takes on a life of its own, casting a shadow over the kingdom, two children, best friends Bert and Daisy, embark on a great adventure to untangle the truth and find out where the real monster lies, bring hope and happiness to Cornucopia once more. As tall as two horses, eyes like glowing balls of fire, long razor-sharp claws, the Ichabog is coming. So again, this is the Ichabog by J.K. Rowling, who's also the author of the Harry Potter series. And so I think this book is aimed towards a more younger audience than Harry Potter. I'm not exactly sure what the kind of the age audience she was trying to um, get with this book, but I think it is um, more for younger kids than Harry Potter was. But let's get into the chapters, and I think I'm going to do about seven to eight chapters a week because there's about 64 chapters, I think, altogether. So we can then get that done in about uh, eight or nine episodes. So without further ado, let's begin the Ichabog. So right off the back in chapter one, which is called King Fred the Fearless, we're introduced to the tiny country of Cornucopia and the king who is called King Fred the Fearless. And apparently he gave the title Fearless to himself because he wanted to be like remembered or known as whenever his name was spoken like this great majestic dude. And it said he was called Fred the Fearless partly because he once managed to catch and kill a wasp all by himself if you didn't count five footmen and the boot boy. I mean, wow, that's such a big thing that the king accomplished, really. And so it talks about kind of his yellow curls. He has this big mustache and all the fancy clothes that he would go around wearing to kind of tell people that he's rich. Like, look at my clothes. I'm wearing all this golden jewelry and stuff, and I'm rich. And so already, he doesn't kind of seem like this very nice, humble king. He's kind of like this person who'd be like, oh, I'm the king. I'm the king. And yeah, so... King Fred isn't really off to such a great start here in the first chapter. And he even remarks on how surprised he is about how easy it is to run a country. Like, the people have all their clothes. Everybody has all this food. The merchants make their money. 
and Fred's advisors pretty much take care of every single problem that arises. He doesn't actually have to do much himself except smile and wave at people. And it says he goes hunting five times a week with his two best friends, who are Lord Spittleworth and Lord Flapoon. Now, these people are probably the people who do the all the work for him, but they probably also take advantage of him in some ways, and I guess we'll figure that out uh, as the story goes along. And kind of towards the end of the chapter, it kind of talks about the richness and the kind of flourishing of all these um, places within the country. And one of the places called the Marshlands, it kind of makes fun of a little bit, like, oh, these people weren't as rich as everybody else. And really the only good thing that came out of these marshlands was a legend about something called the Ichabog. And that is the end of chapter one. So it seems that the Ichabog is just some big, dark monster that is said to eat the children and the sheep and carry off grown men and women who strayed too close to the marsh at night. And here we're introduced to, I think is one going to be one of the main characters, whose name is Bert Beamish, and it kind of talks about he how he got scared of the Ichabog and how his parents were trying to reassure him and tell him that he's not real, it's not this crazy monster that's stealing people's sheep. People just don't want to admit that their neighbors are stealing from them and all this stuff, and he gets really scared about it. And people are like, well, the Ichabog cannot be real because we live in this amazing country. We're all rich. We're all powerful and wealthy and um, just living a very comfortable life. Like, there's no way that there's such thing as an Ichabog in our country. So in the beginning of chapter three, which is called The Death of a Seamstress, we kind of get an introduction to the other main character, Daisy Dovetail, and kind of a little look at both of their parents' occupations. So we see that um, Bert's father, is Major Beamish, and he's the head of the Royal Guard. And he happens to also go on the hunting trips that the king takes. And Bertha, who is his mother, is um, the wor the king's private pastry chef. So she's probably really big in the castle and stuff. And then Daisy Dovetail, we see, is kind of like Bert's sister. And they're really good friends. And Daisy's father is Dan Dovetail, who is the king's carpenter and replaces and repairs stuff all the time. And Dora Dovetail, Daisy's mother, was the head seamstress of the palace, which was an honored job because King Fred liked clothes and kept a whole team of tailors busy making him costumes every single month. And I guess what happened is, um, so the king was having Daisy's mother working so hard and stuff, and she was really sick at the time, I guess, and the king didn't really take into account, and he wasn't like, you can have a few days off, or you can rest, or whatever. He kept making her do all these things for him, and she wasn't feeling very well. And it turns out that at some point, she had died, and she had kind of been holding an amethyst that she was just about to sew onto the uh, one of the king's garments, or whatever. And so, if he had taken the time to actually make sure she was okay, instead of making her do all these make all these fancy garments that he probably already had thousands of pairs of she would have probably actually been okay so i guess what the chief advisor came when he had told the king that she had died and he was like oh that's a shame and just kind of brushed it off and so the chief advisor had said well sir you know are you going to like go and visit them like 
give your consolations, like, tell them that you're sorry this happened? And he's like, uh, no, I don't really think that, um, they'd like for me to do that. But really, he was saying, you know, I don't think that I want to do that. I want to take the time to go into the, you know, the city and do that. And then he's like, I mean, it's really, you know, such a pity because, like, I'm the king, and she was just a seamstress. Like, if I died, I wouldn't expect her to. And then he's like, but wait. Like, if he died, he would expect the whole entire country to come into his funeral. And then he's like, well, you know, life goes on, and then he just goes back to bed. So he's, at this point, I'm thinking he's like a really inconsiderate person. Because this person who's been working for him really hard has been slaving over his thousands of garments that she's made for him, just died, and he probably could have prevented it at one point if he had taken the time to realize that she wasn't feeling well. He probably could have prevented her death, and he won't even come and um, pay his respects, kind of. He's like, well, you know, I don't want to. And then he's like, but, like, if I were to die, she wouldn't come and see me. But then he realizes... No, the whole country would come to your, like, service if when you died. Like, ugh. And then he's like, well, life goes on. So, like, she died. It, it happened. Goodbye. So, at this point, I don't think that that king is a very nice person. So, chapter four, it's kind of Mrs. Dovetail is buried. And Bert was with Daisy. And they were kind of just, it was just this really solemn time for both the families. And the king's actions just get so much worse in this chapter. So it seems that about a week after the funeral, the king and his royal guard are going out on their hunting trips and stuff. And so usually at these points, everyone's greeting them. He's being bowed to. People are clapping for him. But he sees this one house in the distance. No one's standing in front of it. And they've got these black curtains. Like, they're grieving and stuff. And so he's like, who lives at that house? You know, and Beamish, one of the advisors, he's like... That's the Dovetail's house. And so he says, Dovetail, where have I, you know, where have I heard that name before? And so he, Mr. Beamish, Major Beamish, he's like, uh, well, Mr. Dovetail's your majesty's carpenter, and Miss Dovetail was the head seamstress. And he's like, oh, yeah, I remember. <laughs> okay. And so after, you know, these trips, now every single time he goes on these trips, you know, he goes five days a week, he keeps seeing these, this house. No one is coming out of this particular house to greet him. They've always got these black curtains up, and he's like, I can't take this anymore. Why are they not coming out here and respecting me? They should be done grieving, you know? And he's like, and then he goes to one of his men, and he's like, okay, you see the house in the corner by the park? It's kind of like a nice house, and it's kind of large. And he's like, that's the Dovetail's house, sir. And he's like, oh, that's who lives there. It's like he's completely forgotten again. He says, well, it actually occurs to me that that's kind of a big house for just two people. So I think that we should um, move them somewhere else because that house could actually house a family of five or six people. And so he's like, you, you want to move the Dovetails? You know, after they've just lost their uh, mother, his his wife and you didn't offer any consolation now you want to kick them out of their own house and he's like yes i think i want to do that and so the chief advisor who doesn't want to get on this dude's bad side is like okay i mean i guess we can switch them with roach's family who i'm sure will actually want more of the space 
and I'll put the dovetails in their house. So they're kind of switching houses. And he's like, okay, okay, just make it happen. He's like, I can't stand to see these people grieving. I can't stand to see them not coming out and bowing down to me. And so Daisy and her father were immediately removed from the house and the Captain Roach was put in there and you know, he has five or six kids. So the next time Fred went past their house, the black drapes were gone. There was kids out playing in the yard, waving at him. There was a family there smiling and waving and then he smiled and waved back at them and weeks passed and the king just kind of forgot about the Dovetail family and he was happy and it didn't bother him again. And in the next chapter, it kind of talks a lot about um, the transition of how Daisy and her dad moved into the Roach's house and how it was really dark and it was really small and it just wasn't the same and it made it even worse because they weren't in a place that was like filled with the memories of her mother and they didn't really speak on the matter anymore because they weren't sure what to think. People weren't sure what they thought of the king now that, that this has happened. So now in chapter six, we see that there's this fight that's about to go on. So the king and his men are about to pass through and the children are outside playing. And some of them are like, oh, we hope that the king would come and pass because actually Bert and Daisy had just turned seven. So they're still pretty young. And so Daisy says, well, I don't hope that he passes through here. And everyone gasps at her and she's like, what? And Bert's like, you shouldn't have said that. And Daisy says, I don't care. If he hadn't worked my mother so hard, she would still be alive right now. And everyone's kind of gasping and is like, is this really true? And then Bert, who is just imitating what his mother had said, said he's the best king of cornucopia we've ever had. And Daisy's yelling at this point, and she's like, no, he isn't. He's a selfish man. He's very vain and cruel. And Bert's like, Daisy, don't, don't be so silly. And so at this point, Daisy's fuming, and she goes right for it, and she smacks Bert in the face. And then the oldest Roach brother, his name's Roderick, and now he lives in Daisy's old bedroom, of course. He's like, don't let her get away with it, Butterball. So that everyone's shouting, fight, fight, fight. And so Bert, he doesn't want to fight Daisy, but like at this point, they've both expressed very different views and everyone's like, fight, fight, fight. So obviously, it's kind of like, like peer pressure a little bit here. And so they're kind of just fighting at this moment. And then that's when the lords and stuff pass by and they're like, oh, these children are horrible. So at this point, the king's advisors are back with the king and they're talking kind of, and one of them is like, hey, king, your majesty, did you hear about this fight? that went on earlier and he's like oh well no and they're talking about this and he was like yeah well I didn't really know if you had heard about it but they were actually kind of talking disrespectfully about you and he's like they were talking disrespectfully about me and so one of them's like I believe so your majesty and you know Major Beamish was the one who kind of separated them got it uh, stopped it and so the king was like okay send Major Beamish here and so he comes and the king is like so I heard about this little, you know, commotion that happened. And then uh, the man's face kind of like sinks and he's like, he had hoped that the king hadn't heard of the news. And he's like, well, it really wasn't anything big, your majesty. And so the man says, well, come here. You should be proud that you taught your son not to tolerate traitors. He's like, well, it's not a matter of treachery. They're just, they're just little kids. And then King Fred says, do I understand that your son defended me, Beamish? He says, well, yes, sir, uh, that's true. Bart defended you. 
However, you know, there should be other things taken into account because, you know, the girl that was Daisy Dovetail and her mom had just died. She, they're very angry and upset at this time. And the king's like, yeah, yeah, I remember her. Well, you can go. And so Major Bemis is kind of relieved at this point. He didn't have to go into too much detail that he was worried about what would happen if he had to. And so the king says, what exactly did the girl say about me, Beamish? And so he turns around and says, she said that your majesty is selfish, vain, and cruel. And then, not daring to even look back at the king, he leaves the room. And in the next chapter, we see that these words are replaying over and over again in the king's head. And he's like, I can't believe somebody in my wonderful, rich, wealthy, prosperous kingdom thinks this about me. So he's like, I have to do something about this. So he says, well, first of all, we need to honor um, Bert in some way to be to let people know that he defended me against someone who thinks down upon me. So he gets this medal made for Bert and he someone presents it to Bert and they're like and his family is like, wow, this is a big accomplishment. You did something that the a medal from that like the king himself. And so actually the next day is something that's called the day of petition where people from all over the country can come and talk to the king to give him their problems, their stories. Maybe they're thankful for something the king does. Just a chance to talk to the king and his advisors. It actually turns out that the king, of course, never actually wants to deal with any of this stuff. He's just like, okay, tell them that I appreciate them coming and you take care of the actual business and the deals and stuff. And so his men go and do that. And this whole time the king is thinking of these words that Daisy had said about him that he was selfish, vain, and cruel. And it's just going over and over in his mind. And he's like, these people who are here obviously care about me and want to come see me. You know, how how is this one little girl like ruining me right now? Out of this whole kingdom, one person that doesn't like me, why is this taking such a toll on me? And so at one point, literally he's tired of just sitting there He's been sitting for a couple of hours, kind of just hearing all these little, these people bring their problems and their ideas and stuff. And he's not even actually responding to them himself. He's just sitting there, just making his presence known to um, seem like he cares about the people. And so he's like, I'm bored. I'm tired. I want lunch. So he's like, okay, tell them to shut the doors. I'm hungry. So they're like, okay, everybody, we're shutting this down. We're taking off couple hours for lunch just be back here when we come back and you can continue to see the king and just as the you know the guards and stuff are trying to shut the door and exit the people out someone one last person hurrying comes bursting through the doors and that is the end of chapter eight thank you for listening to this week's podcast episode i'm glad we're back doing seasons and make sure to come back next week as we'll do another seven or eight um, chapters of the Ichabog. Uh, Make sure if you have any friends or family who you think would like to read this book or know a little bit about this book, bring them over to this podcast and we'll see you next week.